Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Attendance Bias. I am your host, Brian Weinstein. As a podcast host, I am always on the lookout for new podcasts, and I recently found out about one that I really enjoy. And so I reached out to the hosts to come on Attendance Bias. Luckily, of the two hosts, one of them is a big fish fan, while the other is, well, less so. I'm never one to exclude. So today, I welcome the co-hosts of the podcast Rock Docs, Andy and Dave. For today's episode, Andy chose to tell about his homecoming show, October 23rd, 2021, at Chula Vista. Rock Docs is a podcast where our two hosts choose a music documentary, not always rock and roll, and then they provide an extensive review of it. It combines two of my favorite interests, music and movies, taking a look at some of my longtime favorites like Festival Express and The Last Waltz, as well as introducing me to new music and movies that otherwise I would probably never pay attention to. Rock Docs is available wherever you find your podcasts. It was also fun that while Andy had emotional ties and experiences to today's show at Chula Vista, Dave is the first attendance by his guest who is not a fish fan, but he was a good sport. He still listened to the nearly three-hour show, and was able to contribute an outsider's view to balance out all of the gushing and all of the hyperbole from myself and Andy. So let's join Andy and Dave of Rock Docs to talk about Garth Brooks, Light Funk, and much more as we discuss Fish's show from October 23rd, 2021 at Chula Vista. Andy and Dave from Rock Docs, welcome to Attendance Bias. Andy, how are you? Doing all right, man. How are you? I'm all right. And Dave? Uh, we'll see. <laughs> so if you can't, those of you listening, uh, Dave is kind of shifting in his seat a little bit, a little uncomfortable. Uh, would it be fair, Dave, before we press forward or get started on any of this, to just say exclusively you are not a fish fan? I mean, look, I, I don't know how much you want to get into. I, I think it's fair to say that um, it's not a band I I, I I listen to that often or I don't listen to them that often voluntarily. Like sometimes I'm at Andy's house <laughs> or in his car or, you know, whatever. Uh, but uh, yeah, no, not, I mean, not oh. in my top 5,000 bands that I listen to most often. <laughs> right. so, I'll, I'll, I'll run interference. I'll run interference for Dave. All right. Fair but, enough. Fine. And, then, and say, I, and say, so Dave and I have this show together. Before that, we talked about music together a lot. I adore fish and David doesn't. But it has never prevented me from thinking that the next thing I show him will will change the tide. We haven't gotten there yet. Uh, listeners to the show will will know that we have a, a recurring bit where I, I compare some band that he loves to an element of fish, and he rejects it out of hand. He, but you know, he's he's a good sport. He he. If you we did an episode on Bittersweet Motel, and honestly, the thing that he hated most about that movie was not Fish's music. In fact, he's borderline complimentary of the music that is included in, in Bittersweet Motel, if you listen to that episode that we did with uh, Rob Mitchum from 36 from the Vault. But uh, he's also attended two separate Fish shows, in the in, one in the 1.0 era, one in the in the 2.0 era. So he's, despite his years of not being a Fish fan, I, I think it would be fair to say that he keeps something of an open mind. I try to be open-minded, and I also just want to establish, for people that are listening to this podcast, I, I'm not here to yuck somebody's yum. You know, if fish is your thing, awesome. You may not like Guided by Voices, which is a band that I like, or whatever. There's probably 10,000 
music artists that I like that somebody who's listening doesn't care for. And that's great. The, I believe a person comes to art and they experience it and have their own perspective. And that is uh, valuable and valued. And so I'll, I'm going to have some fun with it. That's kind of what we're here for. So, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll get some licks in. Uh, but, I, you know, I'm not here to uh, give somebody a hard time or, or to bum somebody out if they uh, if it's a band they love. Great. And maybe one day uh, it'll work. It'll catch on for me. And I, I like I want everything to be good. Like I never go to a movie or listen to a record or anything hoping it's going to suck or I'm going to have a bad time. That It's not like that doesn't seem like fun to me. I, I try to keep an open mind. I think we're I think we're gonna find out in a couple minutes here that he liked this show a lot. That's what I, I think, think. This is gonna be fun. I'm excited. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, hope yeah. springs eternal. Hope springs eternal. Yeah. Uh, well, for those of you listening, um, Andy mentioned a few times we did an episode on at our yeah, show. Yeah, yeah. So if you skipped over the intro completely, just so we know, uh, Andy and Dave are here because they are also podcast hosts, and half of them are a fish fan. <laughs> but they are podcast hosts of what I consider to be an extremely fun and right up my alley topic. And the show is called Rock Docs, D-O-C-S. And so it's, well, you know what? I'll let you guys talk about it. My impression is just you watch, you kind of review, but really offer your insights onto different rock and roll and other types of music documentaries, no matter what genre it's in. But you do the elevator pitch. Tell me, what is Rock Docs about? Uh, Rock Docs is a podcast about music documentaries. We're brought to you by Treble Media, which is at treblezine.com. I encourage you to go there and uh, and support them. It's a great music website. We're happy to be uh, associated with them. Uh, yeah, we uh, we watch documentaries, new and old, all types about, you know, we're open to basically any type of music or any genre, any documentary that's music related. Usually it's about an individual artist or band, but it could be about a scene or a festival or a whatever. Um, and uh, sometimes we often have guests. Um, sometimes those guests are people involved with the films themselves. Like we've had some directors and producers. We had uh, the Oscar winning producer of Summer of Soul, Joseph Patelon. We recently had Sam Jones, who's the director of the new documentary about Jason Isbell. And he also did classic documentary about Wilco. <clears throat> yeah. And it's just, uh, I don't know. Andy and I love music documentaries and we love watching them and talking about them. And sometimes we record that and it's a podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's about right. That's about right. If you, if you're into music, I imagine you're mostly also into music documentaries. Seems there might be a small group of people who's just <laughs> like an absolute music head. It's like, I, but I hate if anybody puts it on camera. Yeah, <laughs> hey, hearing people talk about rock yeah. and roll—that's why yeah. I'm listening to a podcast about it. Right, right. But uh, yeah, so I think if if you like music documentaries, you probably find something you'd like in our show. I, I hope. Well, Andy, how did the podcast get started? How did you guys choose its topic? Because it seems like it's a fairly obvious discussion point, but it seems pretty unique as far as what's out there about specifically music documentaries. Yeah, so it's actually a, a pandemic project. We were. Uh, David and I, our wives and and kids were a pandemic bubble, uh, to use a, a very weird dated term at this point. Um, but so we would hang out together and uh, it was basically our only social interaction of any kind. And David and I would talk about <laughs> the music documentaries we were watching every night. At a certain point, I think I think David recognized that oddly enough, there wasn't already a podcast out on this. It's, it seemed like such low hanging fruit for something, you know, that there's a, a boom of music documentaries coming out right now. Look at any streaming service. There's always a new one. They're 
pretty well made for the most part. There seems to be some money behind them. They're nice and, and shiny, covering a lot of different genres. And it just it just seemed like a good idea, basic basically. And uh we kicked it around for, I don't know, six or eight months before we finally pulled the trigger and just started doing it. But uh we've been going ever since then. And uh, you know, there's a, a, a small but vocal audience of people who likes it. Something I like about your podcast is your definition of a rock and roll documentary is quite flexible. Yes. Because I was wondering when I was scrolling through your episodes, once I discovered your podcast and I, oh, I got to listen to that one. Festival Express, my favorite one ever. I got to listen to that one. And to me, Festival Express is a prototypical rock documentary. There's Mm -hmm. talking heads, not the band, the talking heads, but, you know, people involved giving their opinion from years in retrospect. There are clips of music. There's discussion, quote, what does the whole thing mean? That to me is if you had to send into space an example of rock doc genre, that would be it. But I was wondering if you like if stop making sense, the actual mm. talking heads. Yeah. Is that a rock doc? Because that's really just a filmed concert. Uh yeah. I mean, we've been kind of yeah. debating this uh <laughs> since day one. Um, yeah. you know, I think that one really is a concert film because there's no you know, narrative element to it. Um, that doesn't mean that we won't ever do an episode about it because we did episodes about The Last Waltz, um, another one called Erg, A Music War, which is a great, great, fabulous documentary, uh, if you can find it. Um, and it's from 1981 about, and it's just like clips of like 40 post-punk bands each playing like one song. So it's like everybody from XTC to The Police to bands Devo. you maybe, yeah, yeah, Devo to... um you know, bands you maybe have never heard of. Um, and it's just one after the other. There's no, you know, I mean, it sort of tells the story, but it's not like there's no talking head. There's, there's really nobody talking at all. Um, so we're pretty flexible about what we discuss. But I mean, most of our episodes are about, you know, what you would think of as a music documentary in the sense that like, you know, there's probably some live performance or recorded music involved, but it's, you know, really telling a story, whether it's about the, a band or an artist or about an event like Festival Express or something like that. I think it's just easier think, to talk about sometimes, like yeah. if there's a narrative. Yeah, I think that's basically the thing. Is stopping sense the the whole, whole hang up to me would be, what would we say on the episode besides, oh man, this one that was so good, wasn't it? it was a, <laughs> Tina, you know, Tina brought you know. the funk on that one. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, and that said, we've we've it walked into a recording a couple times wondering if we were going to have enough to say and. Sooner or later, you know, we have to cut the mics off at an hour and we figured it out. So uh, luckily, we're long winded music dorks who uh, always find a way to to hear ourselves talk, as I'm doing right now. Um, <laughs> but but, uh, but I, I, you know, stop, that said, stop makes sense. You know, you could talk about Demi. You could talk about the history of the band. You could talk about how they were you know, building all this personnel at this time and do it for, for these live shows. So, yeah, I. I would be surprised if we carry on much longer. I, I would be surprised if Stop Making Sense never makes an appearance. Yeah, because it is a central moment central, in film yeah. history, you know. Yeah. And when I found your podcast, like I said earlier, and I was the first thing I do with any podcast, I scroll and see what the episodes are, you know, especially when it's something like this that's so central to my interests. The first rock doc that I thought of was The Kids Are All Right, mm-hmm. the Who one. Yeah. Because the Who are my favorite band even with fish, you know, plus one, minus one, depending on the day. And I went back and watched it. I hadn't seen it in years. There is no narrative to it. It's just a compilation of performances through the band's career. And I thought, 
is this the sort of thing where the viewer has to create a narrative in his or her head for it to work? Or is it just only for who fans? Yeah. The Ergo music war that David mentioned is an interesting line like that, where, you know, you, you sort of second guess yourself as you're watching it of how much work you're doing versus how much uh, authorial intent is going on. But when I watch that movie, just moving from band to band and thinking about them in context of what was going on in music and the director's decisions of who they included and what they included, I start to build a narrative. And, and mm-hmm. that movie feels like it has a narrative to me, even though it is there. No one speaks at any point. It's just 40 consecutive uh, appearances. So I haven't watched The Kids Are All Right in maybe 20 years. Um, I, I, I remember loving it when I when I last watched it. Um, so I'd be interested to check in on that and see the same thing. But, you know, I, I think in general, I would imagine most directors would say, no, there is a narrative in there and you're not you're you're not imagining it. And every decision I made was deliberate and all in furtherance of an idea I wanted to provide convey. So getting to know you guys mm-hmm. a little bit as hosts, sure. But also we want to know you as music fans Andy, more specifically, you as a fish mm-hmm. fan and mm-hmm. Dave as a music fan and podcast fan, I suppose. So let's get it started. The attendance bias lightning round. Attendance bias lightning round. Andy, when was, when was your first fish show and what do you remember from it? Uh, It was September 17th, 2000 at Meriwether post pavilion. Um, I grew up in Columbia, Maryland. And so fish coming to town was like a, it was like a big day in the summer, even before I, you know, I was, I was a, I was in the fall of my junior year of high school at that show. I knew of Fish before that. Uh, we used to go to lots of shows at Meriwether. We could uh, hop the back fence and sneak in. Um, so we didn't even have the bar of, is this worth $20 to go to? Because we, <laughs> we we knew how to sneak in. So I, I saw lots of shows that I wouldn't have otherwise seen. What I were, what I think most people would remember about that show is, that's I think, widely considered the best Mango song ever. A, a, a really big mango jam. Mm-hmm. What I remember though was, uh, yeah, I was very young, uh, and I was probably on the nerves of most fans who were at the concert that night. I was 16 years old. I was, were you asking everyone every question? What song is this? What's going on? <laughs> yeah, or probably just talking in the back. I'm sure I was a, 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 a <laughs> menace to the, to the crowd. I, I remember the lot more than anything. I remember. Not knowing a lot of the songs, you know, probably that knew very little at that point. But I was, I, I was enticed. I was enticed by the the scene. I was enticed by the idea, and I liked the sound of the music. And um, I remember just walking around and thinking everybody seemed so carefree and like they were in their place. And even though i you know i i was striving for that i, I was i was a po- i was a poser i guess that's the, the shortest mm. way to say it i was a poser and i was aware of it but i was interested i was interested and and going was enough to to plant the seed and to start to to do the work behind the scenes so that uh, i wouldn't be quite quite as much of a blight the next time around <laughs> <laughs> the guys in the back of the lawn thank you for, <laughs> for not being so chatty uh yeah. what was your most recent fish show and what did you think of it Last fish show I went to was at the was Sunday night at the Hollywood Bowl for the the run that just ended. Um, mm-hmm. So I went to all three nights, um, but so that makes Sunday the the most recent one. I loved it. I thought it was a fantastic show. I loved Saturday too, but and I think Saturday has gotten more attention. The show I went to had in the first set at Fantastic Cities. If you guys if you like a 
and up-tempo cities. I thought it was really good. Um, and then also open the second set with a really fun Mr. Completely. I'm always welcome a Mr. Completely. I thought that one was fantastic. No Quarter uh, got, a, got a nice appearance. And uh, in that giant cavernous venue, they filled it up with sound. Then, you know, it was an absolute paid showcase and was, a, a in in my opinion, a really good show. And the, the Saturday had, it was like all 1.0 basically in the first set and people were blown away by the set list and don't get me wrong it was very good i don't think the sunday night show on paper stands out quite as much as the saturday one does but for me i actually preferred the, the sunday night show i thought it was very very interesting and well played dave do you remember the date or maybe andy does for you the day <laughs> that you went to your first fish show um i don't remember so i went to two fish shows i'm trying to think i was trying to think of my like history with fish so I went to I grew up in San Diego, which where we now live. But my freshman year of college, I went to University of Michigan. And the two things that I remember most clearly from like my first few days there were the school was this is 1994. The school says, okay, here's your email address. And I said, what's an email? Because this is 1994. And and also like a few days in, hanging out in somebody's dorm room. And the guy's like, uh, he like ceremonially like opened a uh, like unzipped one of those cassette cases, you know, with the zipper like. Oh, and case was logic, like, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And, and was like, uh, "Are you into fish?" And I was like, "What is that?" Um, and it seemed like everybody who was from the East Coast or Midwest or whatever at this point, you know, who was eighteen showing up to college, like knew of this band, and like I, being from Southern California knew a lot about the Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, that kind of thing, but not, um, was not familiar with fish. When I was like getting into music and I was a teenager in the pre-internet days when you just couldn't get like whatever music, you know, you could, there, there's only so much music you could expose yourself to. I had the, the, the Rolling Stone encyclopedia of rock and roll. And I remember going through it one day and on one page, as I recall, there was like a picture of the Grateful Dead. It was probably like a it, in like the Bobby wearing, you know, jorts era, you know, oh, and, my favorite and whatever. Yeah, right, right. And then the next page in my mind, I don't know if they're really, but in my mind, the next page I turned to and there's a picture of like the clash just looking like the coolest, most badass people who had ever walked the planet. And I had not heard any of the I like it was not there's no way for me to hear either of these bands. Like maybe I had heard Rock the Casbah and maybe I had heard a dead song or something, but like they weren't on the radio at that time. And I wasn't exposed to them. So like, I could just look at these two pictures and flip back and forth. And I was like, well, I know what team I'm on. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, you know, and not that I was ever a punk, but like, I was much, I just had that like leaning where I was like, I guess the hippies are bad and the punks and those people are cool. You know, I kind of had that bias. Uh, the, the like anti-hippie thing. And I, eventually I did get into the dead, not too much longer after that, but um yeah, fish. You know, I just kind of was exposed to it and tried to grab me. And then I went to a couple of shows. I think one was in '95 and one was in 2000, but I, that might not be exact. If I'm not mistaken, I believe you. I went think we to, tracked this down at one point. I think you went to uh, the Sports Arena show, December 4th, 1996. Right, uh, San Diego Sports Arena. San Diego Sports Arena. Yep. Uh, San Diego uh, Rock Arena, as we call Diego, it. As yes, uh, this is uh, people listening might know it as the the site of the meeting between. Uh, the kid and Penny Lane at uh, in uh, Almost Famous in the yes. the, the runway. Right, well, Cameron Crowe is from San Diego, right? Cameron Crowe, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yes. 
yeah. Okay. So I that's ninety-five. The sports arena. Ninety-six. Show? Yeah. Ninety-six. 96. And then I think, okay. I, I think your next one would have been two thousand three at uh, Chula, in Chula Vista, the same venue that we're no, talking about. No, 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 no. I went to the Forum. I went to a show oh. at the Forum uh, in L.A. Uh, the Great Western, the, you know, before it was Rita, uh, in around two thousand, two thousand. It, it would have had to be around. I don't know something around ninety-nine to two thousand one, something like that. They must have played the Forum in that zone. I could probably figure it out. Both times were a situation where like friends had a bunch of tickets and I had nothing going on that night. You know what I mean? So like, I mean, I'll go to pretty much any concert, uh, especially when I was like, you know, whatever, 19 or something. And I had no, literally nothing better to do with my life. <laughs> and so, um, you know, both were just situations where I was like, Hey, we got tickets. You want to come? Sure. Okay. I'll come to a concert and, and hang out and check it out. Yeah. So that, those were the circumstances where I, where I first encountered uh, our four friends. What's the most recent show you've seen? What's the most recent? Well, Andy and I are going to see Billy Strings tomorrow. But as of this, oh, awesome. uh, as as of this conversation, my most recent show was uh, maybe it might have been the They Might Be Giants show that Andy and I went to like a few weeks ago. I don't know, a few weeks ago, or maybe it was a month ago. Yeah, it was great. It was pouring rain outside venue. They Might Be Giants, kind of older guys, probably not that much older, probably the same age as Fish, complaining about the rain, getting soaked. It was it was a real good time. Yeah, I think that was the last. Show. I don't know that I've been to something since then. It's been a few weeks. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to Billy Strings tomorrow. Psyched. It's going to be a great That's time. That's awesome. And he's selling Love big it. venues now. The next biggest outdoor pavilion down from the Chula Vista venue we're going to talk about today. Um, but he, he sold it out on Saturday and Sunday is cl- close to a sellout. So, to, And let me tell you, jam bands in general don't do great here in San Diego. Uh, a lot of bands don't do great here in San Diego. We don't exactly have the best, uh, the, the best crowds. Uh, but Billy has tapped into something because he can sell some tickets in the city. It's so fun how you mentioned way earlier. I think it was Dave. I think it was you when you said that you went to college and you'd never heard of fish uh, because you were from the West coast that fish made such a concentrated effort in the late eighties and early nineties to make a name for themselves in LA and uh, Northern California. And they just bounced back. It took until like 1997 for them to really sell out a Western venue. You could argue even now they're not, as yeah. big of a I'm, fan base then but now billy strings the world has yeah, changed so it. much that yeah. anyone could be from anywhere yeah well, fish we could just... have been fish could you know this is like the days when you know when i went to college in 1994 fish could have been huge two blocks over from me and i wouldn't have known you know what i mean like so it, right. I, in my world he wasn't on the radio and my friends didn't know about them but i had like six friends you know what i mean so like i wasn't <laughs> exposed to like the widest world of music even then but you know Dave, name a rock doc that was better than you thought it would be. Oh, God. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot that are, we don't necessarily say better than I thought it would be, but like sometimes we'll say like better than it needed to be. So that's sometimes a category, like meaning like, you know, sometimes these are just content and you know, the fans will watch it and, you know, it'll do well on streaming well enough to justify its existence. Um, And then sometimes they just go like above and beyond. For example, uh, a recent one that we just ate up was the one about Garth Brooks, who's not an artist that like either Andy and I really had that much of a relationship with. I'm not like, you know, hating on him or whatever, but like I couldn't name more than a couple of his hits. But um, the do- the documentary, not for reasons that they intended, but because he comes because off he's a like a crazy person. Because... He comes off like a really, a really crazy person. <laughs> and like something is not some wiring is not right there. And that's the way the the film is clearly like a Garth Brooks joint. Like everything is was clearly chosen by him. And yet I think he thinks he probably is coming off well. 
and you're like, somebody needs to call the police because this person <laughs> could like, m- there must be bodies buried somewhere. He just comes up. It's, he comes off like a supervillain in a Marvel movie or something like his, the world, the way he sees the world is perfectly coherent to him, but you know, he's the villain. You know what I mean? <laughs> and so it's an incredible movie and I've been telling people about it and, you know, cornering people and be like, you got to see this movie. And they're like, I don't care about Garth Brooks. Why would I watch it? Whatever. And it's like, no, 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 no. You're missing a, a film with a protagonist who is unlike anybody you've ever seen in your entire life. It's forgetting <laughs> he's about even documentaries. Yeah. Yeah. He's the, he is, he's, he's a, uh, he's an he's anti-hero. A, he's a you know? soprano. Yeah. He's Tony Soprano. He's right. like, the, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, it's, uh, that's, I mean, it's funny, but that's just one that comes to mind. And Dave, one more for you. Was there a rock talk? Kind of the flip side of my previous question. Was there a rock talk that you were really psyched, really looking forward to watching, and it left you feeling underwhelmed? So there's oh, a yeah. Uh, so yeah. I mean, I came. You know, when I w- in the early 2000s, when there was that like garage rock revival, and there was these bands like the Strokes, Interpol, the Yeah Yeah Yeahs. I was way into that. I saw all those bands at the time. I was super into that whole scene. Then they made this great book about it called Meet Me in the Bathroom. That's this oral history, just fabulous book, full of great anecdotes and detail about all these bands that I just love and the whole setting the scene. And then they said, okay, they're going to make a documentary about it. And it's by the directors of a documentary about LCD sound system that I liked called Shut Up and Play the Hits. And we were, you know, Andy and I basically manifested, you know, when we first started Rock Docs, we would talk sometimes at the top of the show and we were like, Oh, like what's a you know what's a book that should be made into a music documentary? We both agreed this had to be the one. It was like there's no way this could flop. And the documentary came out last year, and we watched it and reviewed it for the show. And boy, it <laughs> sucks. <laughs> it is not good. And I mean, I'm sure they worked hard on it. And sometimes the plane just doesn't take off. You know, no slight to anybody involved, but boy, it was for us a total brick. Yeah. I saw there was an interview with uh, Albert Hammond Jr. from The Strokes. He just released a solo album, which, by the way, if anybody's interested and likes The Strokes, listen to Albert Hammond Jr.'s new solo record. It's awesome. Uh, but in there, in promoting it, somebody asked him if he had seen Meet Me in the Bathroom yet, and he said no, he hadn't watched it. And I was just overcome with jealousy. It's just like <laughs> wow. how, how nice that would be to to not have seen it. You want to eternal sunshine it in yeah. from your brain to scrub it from your brain and pretend you've never seen it. Right. So, Handy, this is the question I end every lightning round with. And it mm-hmm. I'm sorry, Dave, only applies to fish fans. What is the weirdest thing that you've ever seen at a fish show? I don't know that I have seen that much weird stuff if you take away the, the standard stuff from fish shows. But but I think my answer is. Uh, at SPAC in uh, uh, Saratona, Saratoga Performing Arts Center for non-fish fans. Uh, at SPAC in 2009, uh, torrential downpour just as people were lining up to get in. And uh, this was in the paper ticket era. And so everybody got absolutely soaked. Their tickets got absolutely soaked. And the readers weren't reading any of the tickets. And so there was no movement at the line. Impatient people dealing with that plus people who didn't have tickets decided to take advantage of the situation and and rush the gates gate a little gate crashing so the gates crash and eventually i have tickets i'm just wandering through you know prepared to show my ticket to anybody who decides to to manhandle me but we see that the person who had had spearheaded this whole gate crashing thing is this guy with no shirt on very long hair uh he's getting you know thrown around by three or four cops 
And he picks his head up and I see that it is a guy I went to college with who I haven't seen in like six years. And uh, my <laughs> my sister-in-law, uh, thinking, I guess, that she could have a conversation with him and the cops wouldn't mind or something. She goes, Kirby, hey. And he looks over and in spite of the cops, <laughs> you know, trying to, to arrest him, he goes, oh, hey, what's up, guys? Don't don't worry about me. I'll be out in a minute. <laughs> and I don't think he was out in a minute, but uh, that was the the first time I saw him since school, and uh, the last time I've seen him as well. So, shout out to Kirby. Hope you're yeah, doing Kirby, all right. wherever you are, man, we're, we're thinking of you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when was this show played? Well, for everyone listening, I completely forgot to mention this at the top of the show. But the show that Andy and Dave chose to discuss was Fish's performance on October 23rd, 2021 at what was then and may still be called the North Island Credit Union Amphitheater in Chula Vista. I would guess most Fish fans just it's just Chula Vista. Where are you seeing them? Oh, I'll be at Chula Vista. Yeah. Uh, just, is that one Chula. of those? Yeah. yeah, just Chula. OK, is that one of those venues that its name changes every other year and it's not worth remembering? Yes, it's 100%. been it's been sleep train. Yeah, that it's was a funny sleep one. Cal, That's how I knew it. Yeah. Cal Coast Credit Union, I think. No, Cal Coast right? Credit Union is is where we're seeing Billy. It, it's been oh, okay. It, it right. was course. I don't. Yeah, no, course we, for a long yeah. Time. Oh, it was course for a long time. Right. Everybody yeah. just says Chula. You know, unless maybe you're not from San Diego and you just say San Diego because it's like you know the San yeah. Diego metro yeah. area. I don't know, Dave. You've you've probably seen over a hundred shows at that venue in the course of your life. I saw Bob Dylan, Paul Simon. <laughs> I saw the Up and Smoke tour with Eminem and NWA, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, Exhibit. Great show. I've seen, I've seen, I go way back. So zooming out a little bit, before we get to this show specifically, the 2021 summer tour got a lot of attention. And there was a lot of tentative excitement because it was the first tour, in quotes, back from the COVID postponement. And it generally went off without a hitch, unless my brain is just choosing not to remember any crazy trauma. The thing is, the fall tour got a lot more attention because even though it was on the West Coast, I think entirely, uh, there it did end with uh, four nights in Las Vegas to mixed reviews to that Halloween run. But just geographically, the fall tour had 13 shows. It started in San Francisco and Sacramento. It stayed mostly in California, Oregon, Arizona, and Nevada, Nevada being the Las Vegas shows, where they ended with that sci-fi soldier a Halloween show that I think would be fair to say at best had mixed reviews and tons of people got sick afterward because of poor ventilation. That's yeah. Both of those are correct. Uh, uh, Mixed reviews. Generous. I would say sci-fi soldiers, not, not my favorite thing they've done. And Um, this show was on October 23rd. It was the seventh show of the tour. So right in the middle, it was outdoors, which is, you know, for those of us who are hypochondriacs at the time, great news. And I'll start, I guess, with you, Dave. What did you know? Oh, you weren't there, right? You didn't attend this one. You just listened for for our benefit, for special occasions for this. Yeah, no, I remember Andy attending. And I, I think there was even discussion like you were like, I might get you a ticket or something. And I was like, maybe I would go to, I don't know. And then I don't know. I For whatever reason, I didn't go. Yeah. Well, let me I, ask I did, you, what does, it, what does it take to get you to a fish concert? Like, what's the perfect crux of circumstances that you would say yeah sure why not uh i mean i would go but i'm not like going out of my way like it has to be local to me okay. uh 
And I have to like not obviously have, you know, if I, if I have any other plan, you know, I, I mean, like, obviously, if, you know, my wife and I have something going on that night, you know, that we plan ahead of time, I'm not, I'm not canceling things to go to a fish show, but you know, I don't know if it's a weekend and it's in yeah. Tula and whatever, I, I would probably, I, 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 got, wouldn't, I think I, I think I could have got you there. I think something yeah, I'm not, like, I don't have to be, yeah. I don't have to be thrown in the trunk and zip tied and whatever. Yeah. And, you know, what drugged and whatever. I mean, what a, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah, what I can say about this is, uh, so, so yes, it was the the seventh. Uh, it was basically the middle of this run. Um, I should say also that it, it went, it did go off mostly without a hitch. But the, also, there was uh, the they were supposed to have shows in Tahoe that had to be relocated to San Francisco because of a severe forest fire, and that was like they were relocated like four days before the show. Um, so that was that was another curveball that had been going on. And then when they played those shows at Shoreline, they had. They were very good. It was a gigantic soul planet that yep. is a, a song people don't like, but that jam was you know, largely considered very good. I went to the Chula show, uh, took the train up and saw them in L.A., took the train up to Santa Barbara, saw them at the Santa Barbara Bowl, and then took the train all the way back to San Diego, where David picked me up, and then we went and saw Dead & Company at Chula Vista. So David was part of this run, so to speak. <laughs> He was yes. part of a leg of this run. Part of part of a leg of this run. He saw Dead and Co at the same venue when I had made it back. Uh, you know, five days later or whatever it was. It's some of the people like at Shakedown. Some of the people at Shakedown might not have known that that you know that anything that the shows were not. It wasn't just a four night fish run. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it, to me, it sounds almost like Interstellar. Like you, one minute away on tour is like three days in the real world <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. so you leave and you come back the show is still going on three right, days exactly. later <laughs> yeah or flatliners more like it <laughs> well, well a deep uh, cut andy thanks well andy Thank did you have any concerns about covid by this time of the tour do you remember like your mindset at this point this was post post vaccine and cases had come down a lot so like there was some tentative optimism i think people were happy to get back out there but it was still very much on your mind at all times no no question i remember i was basically okay with it at this point because i'd been vaccinated i'd also i went to the alpharetta run when they first came back and i also went to atlantic city and then dicks and then and then this run so i did a lot of shows in 2021 i remember mostly telling people i was doing that and getting very concerned looks there were a lot a lot of normal you know normal folks in my life were like is that really a good idea I've, i felt good about it post-vaccine but there was no question not everyone in the world was exactly as ready to to hop back into the saddle of all the shows whether it was on <clears throat> that tour or of the shows of your history that you've seen why do you have attendance bias toward this performance well i think it's Frankly, a lot of what we were just talking about, the like end of the pandemic or what seemed like the end of the pandemic, the beginning of the end of the pandemic became was very acute. I, I felt it very much here. I, it was in my hometown. I was with my wife and a lot of other people I loved. And I was doing my favorite thing, seeing fish live. And I could actually hug them. Like I could actually physically embrace people. Uh, it was like a, a culmination of things that hadn't happened in two years. I mean, granted, I'd seen some fish shows leading up to this, but that was those were different. They they felt like I was traveling for those with just a few people. 
also man i just i think that this show is such a treat for people who love fish there's not some of the stuff that i think you can predictably imagine people getting excited about or sharing on social media the day after a show it's not a set list that i think jumps out at people and so i think it the show did get a bit overlooked afterwards compared to some of the other stuff in that fall tour to me this is the reason to still chase fish in 2022 and 2023 is that, that they can still put together a show this good in surprising ways in interesting ways doing doing with some ideas and some stuff that i've really never heard them do much of set one well that's what we're here for so mm-hmm. let's get into it uh dave before we get into it on a song by song thing if i were to read the overall like just if i say just give me the bullet points as uh i guess you're the only sane one here really <laughs> when it comes to fish you know we're very i think we're self-aware enough to realize andy and i that we're nuts uh what are your overall points if i ask you three bullet points right what do you feed me uh after listening to this three hour show of a band that yeah you could be convinced to go see but they're not in your top five thousand. overall i would not say it was my thing um so if the position being taken is that this is an exemplary fish show as well, a musical, by one person. As a listen- it's well, no, I understand, person. but uh, okay. But that's what I'm, you know, that's all I have to go on. You know, that would not necessarily sell me to then start listening to more shows. That said, there were things that I liked about it, you know, so we can certainly talk about some of those. Maybe more things that I liked than I anticipated. But that's because I was going in with, Relatively low expectations. <laughs> well, the show opens, Andy, you said that it's uh, maybe a show that wouldn't stand out on paper as a set list, but the opener does. A fluffhead yeah. opener is rare, although it's becoming increasingly more common, but it's yeah. always good. It's tough to argue with this was the first thought that I had. It was the first note I wrote down. Always good to have a fluffhead opener, period. Tough to argue with this. Yeah. Fluffhead, no, fluff opener, great. Unfinished fluffhead, real, a really yeah. jammed out, jammed out fluffhead. Yeah, I mean, th- you know, th- there's a, a flub early. I think in, in the composed section in the beginning, we get a, a, a pretty stark flub, but it's fine. Energy stays high. The crowd's a little, little shifty in the beginning. If you, and I think you can hear that on tape. People don't necessarily react as big as you'd expect to a fl- to the first note of a fluffhead opener. Is that a West Coast thing? That's a San Diego thing. Okay, it's de- it's definitely a different energy. Uh, especially compared to New York. I mean, not, yeah. you know, nothing compares to seeing them at MSG or, you know, about the woods or something like that. But um, I did love that jam that you mentioned at the end of Fluffhead at about 14 yes. minutes when it's usually coming to a close. There, Trey plays this like little two note riff. Yes. And all of a sudden you're in a completely different universe. I forgot listening in the car that they opened with Fluffhead. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think um, you can really, it's like around 11, 45, 12 minutes, the, the crowd really starts to pit, to, to dial in. Um, people start to get really excited and you hear a bit of a rise.
Trey at like 14 plays with this, this like it's similar uh, gearhead. David would actually know better than I do, but it sounds a lot like that, like frog tone that Trey uses these uh, in the last like tour that he does. I, I don't know exactly what pedal he, what, what pedal it is that he's playing with there. Um, but he starts playing him and, and Paige get into a, a neat little conversation with each other. And it leads to great improv, which I think by the end of the song, and this tends to happen with fish, they realize we could play this for an hour, but oh shit, it's only the first set opener. We can't jam for too long. So it segues not flawlessly, but good into NICU, which is the first fish song I ever heard live. So Ah. I was, I'm always thrilled to hear it. And again, a song that does not usually get improvised that usually doesn't jam at six minutes there's an amazing NICU jam, maybe never before. I don't know. I'll have to check the stats, but it gets dark. It gets melodic, although it's still in NICU territory. Fishman is the one to me that holds this all together. Okay, so uh, you haven't mentioned this yet, so I'm, I'm wondering if this slipped your notice. North Island Credit Union. I did not notice that. Yes, and I see you. So that's we. There actually were some tweets you can look back when they when the amphitheater announced their new sponsor was North Island Credit Union. There were some people who said 100 chance next time Fish plays here, we get an all time and I see you. And sure enough, swish. We, nailed it um and so and yes man uh, this nicu not only is it um really nice uh, like a really cool jam it sets the tone for the night um it's 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 not quite like a tweezer fest but we're gonna hear this motif throughout the night and i i I think at the end you know so nicu has this that really distinct notable riff that they that they play right it's and so it lends itself well to to being you know breadcrumbed throughout the show i think because it's it's so distinct and you can pick up on it very easily um but at the end of this jam here they play it just over and over and over again like like 10 or 15 straight times towards the end of the jam and what i wrote down is it reminded me of the way chris rock does stand up where he says the premise and then he says the premise and he says the premise and then he says the premise 
because he when he delivers the punchline, he doesn't want there to be any person in the audience that's not going to get it because they happened to miss the premise. And it's like they they hammer you over the head like, hey, hear this little riff. We're going to be doing that a lot for the next couple hours. You're going to be hearing this over and over again, you know. But I hear what you're saying. And I see you is going to haunt the rest of this show. Yep. And, yep. and but not for the next song, which was a huge rarity. Capital letters. Wow. They played Bye Bye Foot, which to me kind of anoints this as a special show. Yeah, totally. So me and my friends who were big geeks are looking at each other at this point. We're just like, you know, we're already doing the the silent eyes widening, widening, widening and mouth over exaggerating the mouthing of the wow. You get a giant fluff head jammed out unfinished. You get a, maybe the best NICU there's ever been. And then we get this crazy bust out Fishman singing, you know, and this is how this show is. Uh, I was with some people who had never been to fish show before and didn't um, know what they were getting. And they were getting pretty listless during Bye Bye Foot. There was there was not a lot for that for for the for the non fan there. Um, I think it was uh, a lot of chatter. You can actually hear it on the tape. There's a, yeah, a lot of people definitely. in the crowd talking during Bye Bye Foot. curious dave this is one of fish's most and i don't i don't know if it's their certainly not their best i would argue but it is one of their ballads fish is not known for being in touch with their sentiments and you know they, they have a lyricist right this is but this song was fully written i think by the drummer to me it kind of sounds like a pink floyd like uh animals sort of era floyd ballad where were you while listening, where were you opinion-wise about three or four songs in once we get our first break? I mean, the the NICU thing, I mean, I hear what you guys are saying. To me, it's like I, you know, I didn't like, I, I didn't have like three hours to like lock myself in a room, turn off the lights and just listen to the show. You know, I was listening to it like over a couple of days, at, you know, as I'm doing whatever, right? And I've heard enough fish that like, some of their music to me just uh, my brain just categorizes that as you are hearing generic fish you know what i mean it's like the charlie brown like what 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 to me and <laughs> i'm not saying it's bad or good whatever i'm just saying like that like there's some like mode that my brain switches into that is like 
you know, the, you're listening to this is fish. You don't have to pay attention. If something interesting happens, I'll let you know. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and, and and so again, that's on me. Um, but the NICU, I, I I love what you guys had to say about it. Um, to me, that totally slotted like that just passed by. And then I noticed, you know, whatever, 20 minutes of my life had happened. However, I, I will say Bye Bye Foot was by far my favorite part of this show. Um, oh, and oh. I was like, wait a minute. This I sounds love you, David. <laughs> I was God. like, wait. <laughs> you know, the, the um, yeah, I was listening. Uh, I was playing baseball with my son in the front yard. Uh, and um, he's hitting these soft, he's six. So, you know, he's hitting these soft like foam balls onto my roof. <laughs> <laughs> which is a flat roof. So that's a little bit of a problem, but um, you know, all of a sudden this starts playing and I was like, wow, like, you know, Trey sounds really good here. So I think it's not him singing, right? It is not. It's, it's Fishman singing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So, you know, maybe that's part of it. It's just like the voice being different or that, that voice worked better for me. The piano, but I was like, Oh, this is kind of a cool song. Like, wow. Like, and then I kind of like Googled it and it was like, Oh, this is a song they never play. I'm like, well, fuck me. Great. (laughs) (laughs) But that makes it even more special. Yeah, that's what we got. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll go to like 35 fish shows. (laughs) You may have to go to a hell of a lot more than that. I do a a fact Uh, check at the end of every episode. This is probably played at like 0.00025% of every fish. It's only been played six times. Fine. Okay. Well, then uh, I, I I thought this was a really nice song that I enjoyed listening to. Turn it off. Turn the we're we're done, guys. Yeah, we listeners listen to the rest of the happened. show on your own. But I I don't want to hear him say another thing about fish after that. That's it. <laughs> but I was in my car. Was if there's a John Fishman solo band, maybe we could you know get into that. I don't know. Yeah. He just shows up places. He has bands, but like they exist for about four months at a time, yeah. and he just yeah, kind of well, shows up. Just move to Maine, and you'll probably see him yeah, if you you're in his him. region. Yeah. Be an alderman, vote for him as an alderman or whatever. Right. Uh, Yeah. In in general, big, big fishman night here. He's, he is. He's everywhere. Everywhere. Everywhere tonight. Yeah. But up next, Uh, don't, you know, don't listen to Andy. Don't turn this off because the next song is Tube. And it is, I'm a big fan of big, funky tubes. And this is a big, funky tube. Very layered. Great stuff here. There's like a firm pocket. Like pretty much right away because the song is only like two and a half minutes basically, but the track is closer to fifteen minutes. Yeah, and it really starts. It's very fast paced and propulsive in the beginning, and I I think, you know, I'm, you know, re listening to this with the benefit of knowing that they they really give it a full treatment here tonight. Um, so maybe I'm imbuing that with the with what I hear at the top, but I but I what I hear from them at the beginning of the song is, oh, we're gonna get a real tube tonight. Um, and I, I, I imagine many in the audience are among those who uh, agree with the late great Harris Whittles that uh, they need to jam tube more. Uh, too often we get uh, a seven minute tube and it's great. I'll still take a seven minute tube at any first set you got for me. But uh, a, a properly jammed tube is another thing. And we got one. We're, we're, we're still checking every box on this show when you when you can you throw in after that bye bye foot bust out a uh, like a 15 minute tube jam yeah what an opening sequence this yeah. is where i i had the thought okay this show is really something like i better sit up yeah. you know because people on the show on the attendance bias that is people pick their jams or their shows for a billion different reasons and the the heart of it is really pick something that's important to you and that's such a flexible yeah. wide-ranging word that everyone picks a good show 
That's all that that's all that really means because it's important to them. It's a good show. But this, I think, also is an objectively good show. Uh, and Tube, I think, kind of solidifies its opening as all right, sit up and take notice. should also say uh, we get our first real NICU tease. Oh, at the end of Tube, yes. At the end of Tube. So that's that's when we we start to get that that um that narrative for the, that's going to carry through the rest of the show, show lay in and and it's not just the tease. I, I, people, you know, if you look look at the set list notes they go, "Oh, you know, Trey teases NICU in here and here and here." It's that, but they they fall into a recurring um jam that is like inspired by that the nicu tease that 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 echoes the tease itself uh-huh. and they do that here in this tube as well and that's that's sort of the last thought at the end of the tube jam yeah and it's not the last thought of nicu no, throughout no. we have a lot more to come but as they transition to slave the thing that was most notable because i don't think this is an exceptional version of slave to the traffic light i think it's work a day it's good mm-hmm. but with the exception that it's faster than what i've gotten used to in 3.0 usually it's Quite slow. Uh, but this slave to the traffic light is really soulful. It's good, although that not that much different. Mm-hmm. That's all I really have to say about this one. Yeah, I think it's about right. I, I, I in terms of placement, I'd always rather a slave in the, the fourth quarter than, than sure. up here. But um, you know, what am I gonna do? You know. And then next up though is a slow llama. Yeah. Fun, exciting, fun, exciting. Uh Dave, if you don't know, this song Llama is usually played at like 180 beats per minute it is a super fast balls to the wall rock song that i think the band played after touring with the aquarium rescue unit which was like an old school jam band that used to play very quickly and what they've done i think starting in merriweather post maybe or walnut creek in 2015 they slow they slowed it down completely and now it's just like slow groovy move from left to right and don't worry about it Kind of llama. Andy, what do you think? Do you prefer fast, slow llama or they're just different is like what you say to your kids sometimes. Yeah. I mean, they are just different. I, you know, if, if I'm asking what I'd rather, if, if they were putting the set list together and they said, well, Hey Andy, what would you rather? It, it's always going to be fast llama for me. You know, give me, give me the fast. Um, but I do like slow llama and I think it's, it's a fun novelty when we get it. 
Um, I was also I was in Deer Creek last year for Slow Maze. Um, ah, very very controversial. Um, yes, <laughs> at the time. Um, I, I like Slow Llama better than Slow Maze, but um, um, but yeah, it's it's fun. I, you know, every time you get it, it's 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 different enough that it's it's uh, it's welcome. And we're already at the end of the set with Rise Come Together. I'll say I'm my on piece. The w- I'm on the way to the bathroom. Oh, you're right. Exactly. <laughs> I want to say my piece. Then I want to hear from you guys. I want to, and I have a microphone, so I want to give myself a lot of credit here. I've come around on a lot of 3.0, what uh, my friends over at the Stub Me Down podcast call Church of Trey songs, mm-hmm. where everything is water, everything is sand, everything is overcoming obstacles, and don't give up on yourself. And that's a great message to have, whether it's leaves or life beyond a dream, more. I never needed you like this before, but I just can't get this one. I cannot get over it. Too cheesy. Well, too cheesy for me. Yeah. To uh, keep it in the church tray, preach, brother. I uh, <laughs> I got to say, this is um, this is my least favorite fish song. I, I a- actively dislike it. I heard the first note and I said, that was a beautiful first set and I will be going to beat the crowd to the restroom i i like this song is grating it is uh it aggravating i i dislike it uh completely there's i i can't say anything nice about it in a pretty high profile spot too yeah yeah i never want to hear it again i i really dislike (laughs) it and i and i and and i want to be clear i'm with you on most of the 3.0 songs i you know there's a lot of jaded feds that like to complain about this stuff i will welcome most of that stuff i i like a lot of it and i could go through the list i like most of them i don't like um life beyond a dream but i but i really dislike prize come together um it sounds like it should be played in a mega church in orange county to me not oh god (laughs) dave what were your thoughts at set break yeah just kind of going through so like I mean, we talked about Bye Bye Foot, and then I'm going to quote from my notes, which I said yeah. to Andy. <laughs> this is what I wrote when Tube started. Bye Bye Foot, I'm like, wow, this is good. I'm, I'm into this. I like this. Then they go into the Tube. Again, I'm not familiar with these songs, right? My notes say, my God, he is rapping. Somebody call a cop. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was not for me. The jam was the tube was fine it took you know i really had to take a step back once he started the rap it was rap adjacent you know (laughs) style even that's very generous by the way yeah well i mean again that i i think probably i you know that i should be canceled just for saying that but you know um and um you know the the kind of bluesy feel with the what i recognize to be the nicu kind of signature i thought was kind of corny Slave to the traffic light again. I mean, I thought there was some nice bass. Uh, Mike, sound good. Come together, however, I actually like the melody. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so like, wow. I was like, this is a pretty good, like most of the time I think the Trey's melodies are not up, not my speed. I, I, I guess that if I'm understanding the, this other gentleman writes the lyrics and then Trey writes the melodies typically for the songs. Is that right? Sometimes. By, uh, by and large. Throughout- yeah, throughout most of their career, a man named Tom Marshall has right, been right, right. their, pri- their yeah. primary lyricist. But it should be noted that since they came back in 2009, there have been a bunch of collaborations just like that. But more recently, like 2016, 2015 onward, Trey has kind of taken on all the responsibilities of being a songwriter, music and, and lyricist. 
Right, right, right. Okay. And they're very identifiable when he's done both. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the lyrics I didn't think were great, but the melody did uh I did kind of enjoy. So I don't know. Maybe we're coming at this from very different places, but uh, we are, which I'm, is good. That's I'm trying to find things to like. Yeah. You know, anyway. All right. So that's where we are at set break. I think there was a song before Rise Coming Up between Slave and some I don't know, something kind of passed me by. So there's anyway, one called that, Llama that was played. Oh yeah, that yeah, one I think I may have fallen asleep. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure it happened though. I'm sure I listened yeah. to it. Yeah. Uh, whatever. Yeah. Slow, okay. fast, in between, whatever. All right. I, don't I, honestly, I, I guess I, I don't have any context for that. So far, I can I can live with what we're getting from you, dude. That, the NICUTs being cheesy, is, that hurts me a little bit. Uh, <laughs> corny. But, but, corny. Corny, I yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the thing is, they do this a lot where they, you know, they come into and out of stuff. It, it, you know, the night after this in L.A., um, they played Tweezer and L.A. Woman, and they went in and out of both of them throughout the second set. I can see that that gets a bit cheesy, a bit corny. I mean, it's it sounds like it sounds regardless of the fact of what song they were teasing. It just sounded like a, you know, generic white man blues. I mean, there's the two things that, you know, are two of the things that are being brought to the table in a fish show that are a challenge for me are the like Clapton inspired white man blues. Like imagine the blues, but only ever only white people had ever been involved in this form of art, <laughs> which is also their approach to rap, to be honest with you. And then, um, and then honestly, the like the the like light funk. I, I would say light funk uh, is not a um, genre that uh, I, I'm fairly open minded in terms of music. I like a lot of different types of music. I think it's fair to say uh, light funk that goes down easy is not typically my favorite uh, style. And they do indulge in a lot of that, you know, and part of it is that, like, I think they're they're good musicians. And it's just kind of a it always seems to me like for I don't know, as a listener, that it's like a a, just a groove that's easy for them to fall into. And especially with Fishman, like it's like this, you know, this backbeat that he falls into. That's like the first thing you learn when you're a rock drummer kind of thing. And it's like it sort of is like like I play guitar and it's like the guitars will play like, you know, that pentatonic five note scale and it's like some people that's all they ever learn and it just kind of a little bit like too easier to it all just kind of sounds the same and 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 maybe it's also because there's like a sort of element of that in the san diego music scene andy will know what i'm talking about mm-hmm. the you know kind of like a, a a reggae inflected but very white kind of thing that's always been popular here and i never went for that either that's what i'm bringing to the table and so again not saying it's bad i'm just saying i bring my own trauma to this experience (laughs) and and there you are let let me ask you something david i've never asked you this before but you you said to me once in passing in a a conversation about something else so listeners david likes the grateful dead a lot he is uh knows their catalog backwards and forwards he's he's a he's a head david also likes goose has attended goose shows and likes them is familiar with the catalog again you said something in passing once that that Goose and Goose and Fish jam the same way, and neither of them jam in the way that Fish uh, that the Grateful Dead does. Mm-hmm. What did you mean by that? Part of it is that it's a lot, a little bit more of a major key kind of approach, whereas Jerry and I mean everybody kind of following his lead, kind of are often more in a minor or mixolydian type of mode, and it's just a sound that appeals more to me. Mm-hmm. With the Dead, it's it's never. You know, even at their slickest, it was never all that slick. You know what I mean? And I like the rough edges to it. With both Fish and Goose, they're 
there's more of a precise kind of sheen to it. With Goose, I think the songwriting is stronger. I think Rick's a really good singer. And there's just enough elements in there to keep me interested, although I don't like all their stuff. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like, you know, there's things, there would be songs that I like, you know, probably half and half songs that I like and songs that I don't. Um, but there's enough that, you know, gets me into it. And there's the excitement of kind of Goose being the new thing. You know what I mean? Like maybe if I was like living in Vermont in 1987 or something, like I would have been into Fish because it was kind of fun and cool. And it's like, you know what I mean? There's an energy to it um, mm-hmm. that, um, you know, that that's part of the part of the package. And that's fine. You know what I mean? Like, you, I can like whatever I like. I don't have to. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that kind of draws a little bit of a distinction between two bands. But I don't know if that kind of answers your question or not. Yeah. I think so. No, it does. It does. And I think there's a lot of legitimacy to it. Uh, I I try real hard not to be the well, actually, guy. <laughs> uh, I will say, though, just to because I know you you are open minded. A lot of what you're describing with like the Mixolydian phrases and the darkness where not everything is major key. Fish has done a lot of that, just not so much recently. Yeah. So, yeah, no, 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 I know part of what makes them up. And yeah. sort of to clarify, like, you know, Jerry came along before to some extent. I mean, he came up before Eric Clapton kind of defined a certain blues rock sound. And, you know, part of me just believes that, like, there was a fork in the road. And, you know, some people went in one direction, some people went in the other. Now, like, I like going to Dead & Co. shows, and John Mayer is certainly, like, comes from that lineage as well. But, you know, I, he, like, really, I think, has made an effort to subvert his own impulses and you know be part of the dead thing rather than make that a john mayer thing so that's a whole other kind of side comment you know i think uh trey can't kind of escape being a like 70s classic rock kid and that's not always a bad thing but there's elements that i hear in his tone and phrasing and things like that that just to me are like from the poisoned well of that (laughs) (laughs) i can't i don't know that's all i got Hi, everybody. Brian here to welcome you to the set break of today's episode of Attendance Bias. First, thank you for listening. And second, just a quick reminder to tell you that even though Attendance Bias comes to you for free, it does take a lot of work and it does take quite a bit of money to keep the lights on here at production. So I just wanted to ask a small favor if you could support the podcast in any number of the following ways. If you could leave a review or a rating of it on whichever podcast app you use. If you could spread the word telling a friend or someone you think may be interested in it about it. Or probably the most concrete way is to go to www.buymeacoffee.com slash attendance bias and donate however much you can financially to help with the continuing costs of attendance bias. So thank you again so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy the second half of today's episode. Set two. Well, it doesn't end anytime soon, because set two opens with no men in no man's land, which is a very much learn one phrase and just vamp it for about 23 minutes. Uh, They do that, though, but this song is kind of designed for that. I think it has really good lyrics, actually. I think that this is one that's a collaboration with Todd Marshall while uh, the rest of the band, probably led by Trey, writes the music. This song, though, provides a lot of space for band members other than Trey and Fishman to show off. And Paige McConnell, who hasn't really been mentioned yet, really takes over well at 11 Mm. minutes with this amazing wave of a synthesizer sound that grabbed my attention. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's fascinating sound. Uh, it's like this big rolling. It's like a rumble that comes through. Yeah, I love it. And I, I, th- I think this is a, in a lot of shows that you see Fish play these days. Um, this would be the best jam you get for the night. And it would be an unremarkable show if that were the case. But you wouldn't be too upset. You, you would tell people, oh, yeah, check out the, the No Man and No Man's Land. It was, it was good. And here, like, this show is, to me, so good that it's, like, the seventh best jam of the night, <laughs> you know? But but under normal circumstances, I think that I think they really get into something fun and interesting and they and they're very patient. I think they they sit in it here in, in the in the back half of this song, in a really cool pocket. And Paige, Paige is is doing a lot with that that big synth sound you're talking about. Yeah, I loved it, and it kind of just kind of falls into free in yes. a way. It it's not a, a an easy stop playing, start the next track. It just kind of rolls over into yeah. free. And I thought it was a good call. Free is a good just straight up rocker. Uh, in the way that David was saying, it sounds kind of like it could have been a classic rock song, in my yeah. opinion. You know, this is even though it was written later. Well, now it's not that much later, but later in Fish's career, uh, it still sounds like it could have been inspired by, let's say, Genesis or something like that, uh, where it is part of that progressive, but also rock and roll backbone. Uh, to me, this jam sounds a lot like Tube, the same Tube jam mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. with the mm-hmm. layering and a lot of different uh impulses from different band members but then at the end it gets very chill and calm and it's unlike most versions of free that i've heard i liked it a lot I agree with all that. I think also the NICU um, teases yeah. here in free are, are part of the similarity with the tube jam. I think there's there's this motif carries through. I I, I love this free. It's it's um, it gets it, it's it, we also start to get into a dark place here yeah. in, in this free that 
really carries through the rest of the night. We we start to get, um, I'm certain that this was around the time that we started to lose the people who I came with who were, who were not big fish fans and were <laughs> uh, told that they were coming to a dance party. And suddenly, suddenly they were getting some, some, some really uh, dark shoegazy sounds, which was exactly commensurate with when I started realizing I was seeing one of my favorite shows I'd ever been in attendance for. <laughs> was, this one in, was middle, losing my mind. in middle yeah. school science, that's what they call an inverse relationship. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, I, I, I'm interested in, in what you thought of both of these, David, I, do, do you agree with that, that uh, take on, on free? Uh, well, I, Free, I mean, the intro riff, uh, I would say, rocks. Uh, but then, you know, it did slip into quite a vast expanse of light funk, yeah. um, <laughs> which I could have done without. Like, hold the light funk, please. Uh, yeah, once it gets so into all this, of that I, NICU stuff, you're, you feel is like light. It, it I mean, I don't know if I'm yeah. making, I don't know, I'm not able to make the distinctions, you know, between sure. what I, I, I listened to this once. I'm not familiar enough with the, you know, yeah. motifs and so forth to be able to really recall exactly. Um, but once I did get into the synth solo kind of stuff and that kind of spacey vibe, you know, I thought it was kind of cool. I mean, yeah. I'm more there for that part of it. Yeah. Like exactly what you were saying. I remember you've been talking about that after the show, like tell me the next day or whatever, like the people, our friends who you were with, like they kind of were, you know, like about to call an Uber and, and you were like, and there, and some of the stuff was actually kind of cool. Like you might've liked it. I, you know, and I know what you're talking about. Like, I'm like, Oh yeah, that that's much more my thing than like, you know, a loose limbed boogie situation yeah. in this, you know, in this context. I, I also, Brent, I don't know if you've, uh, anyone has ever put forward a theory of this. I, I think free is the most attendance bias song in their catalog by which I mean, of, yeah, go ahead. Uh, by which I mean, uh, I, I don't think anybody like looks at a set list from a show the night before and goes, "Oh my God, they played free!" They're like, "Ooh, what a what an interesting free placement." It, it's sort of, but when you're at a show, you know, it, it's one of the first song. It was free was like the second fish song I knew about, I think. And you know, it was like in the Napster days, somebody who didn't like fish at all would have free and bouncing around the room, and like that was probably it. But I, but like when I'm at a show. All, I always have time for for free in a set list at any place. They fill the sound of every venue gets filled every inch with that opening riff. As David says, it just rocks. It's, you know, it's just like simple arena rock sounds. You know, like even if they don't do something special and atypical like they did with this one, I, I, I always love a free in a show. I would agree with that. I think it's a perfect utility player. Yeah. It could go anywhere in the lineup. Yeah. It, uh, it could expand and uh there could be a type two jam at some point although not often but it could it lends itself there's a lot of open space for improvisation or it could be a six minute rock song yeah. it has a lot of space for bass fills which yeah. i'm always a fan of and when they're on a good night their harmonies sound good they don't always mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. when they're <laughs> you know it's it's like you love your own children you know yeah. even the, when you know their faults uh, but their vocal harmonies when it when they're hitting Everything about the song is perfect. Yep. But it's not a given. Uh, but you're right. It's it's always welcome. Plus, it's been around since 1995. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so great. it's it's an easy favorite to have. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I remember I remember they opened with it. I, I was at the Fenway show, and I was just walking through the concourse of Fenway Park, 
staring at the green monster and it's just free belting out like just like this is incredible what a rock what a rock band i'm i'm listening to right now you know yeah and you could sense the crowd when you're there yeah. you could see every you could see the yeah. energy kind of undulating throughout the crowd if you're at a certain perspective when they open it yep yep after this extensive jam of free and several nicu teases which i'm yeah. also always impressed from a musician standpoint that no matter what key or tempo or style the band is playing trey can always find a way to to play it and play it well yeah, I could see how it could be corny, but it just the musicianship of being able to just take something from point A and stick it into point B, I think takes some talent, uh, whether or not it's enjoyable to, you know. Uh, I'll I'll also say since we've 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 uh, got it on the table that this is maybe corny. Uh, I I think the way they use the NICU in this show is very tasteful. Actually, that's, that's what I have in my notes is that it's like like that they can sometimes with these sorts of recurring teases and stuff get on the on the verge of corny i've I've seen them do that before where i'm like all right guys move on but well, especially this, with no man in no man's land and cross-eyed and painless yeah almost yeah. like every fourth song i see they kind of go in and out of both of them yeah yeah but th- but this use of nic i think is is really uh tasteful and interesting and and with that song particularly i, I really i mean I'll, every time i hear nicu for the rest of my life i'll be i'll i'll it, it'll be a different experience because of the right. show and that's what they do sometimes on the ba- on the good nights. That's what they mm-hmm. do. Uh, the next up, they cool things down with joy, which does exactly what it's paid to do. <laughs> so it's yeah. a landing. It's a landing. It's a landing band, spot. Right? Yep, yeah. chills everybody out. And also in a weird spot, so does sand. Which yeah. you would think on a night like this, where everything is prepped for big exploration, it's about a seven minute version of sand. It could be the studio version. Yeah. Yeah. It's exactly. Good. And yeah, and it's good, and it's it's played well. But yeah, it doesn't. It's sort of a warm up for what we're about to get next. Yeah, next is Piper, which is a pretty smooth segue from Sand. It's uh-huh. something like a ripcord, almost as if the band yeah. could sense that Sand wasn't going anywhere. So why not begin a new song? That's that's me projecting probably, but that's how I heard it. And what I really liked about Piper, the Fish.net jam chart description calls it an ambience cloud. And that's, I thought that was dead on because like at 13 minutes, there's like psychedelic rock, but then it just turns into kind of cacophony, random weird sounds. This is for the people on the heavy drugs. Yeah. Uh, During this Piper, uh, a portal opened between Trey and I, and I walked through it and him and I uh, had a relationship with each other. Maybe you uh, were the person on heavy drugs. Yeah, maybe, maybe. (laughs) Uh, But Trey and Trey, Trey, when I listen to this song now, I'm right, I'm right back there. I'm right that back there with Trey. I, I'm, him and I have a, a mind meld. I have never, never felt closer to Trey than I did during this Piper. <laughs> I was every decision he was making connected with me and made perfect sense up until the very end when he terrified me. And the, this this song breaks down into shoegazy ambient dissonance, and it's. It's uh, it's scary. Like I remember looking around, and there were people who were scared in the crowd. This was yeah, this well, was this is when everything's it, peaking. End of yeah, the this second. Was, this is when it when it's peaking. This is this is the beam that you dropped at set break. This is when yeah. it's kicking in.
this this was a, a heavy heavy experience in in the moment and a, a, it, there it was not sitting well with a lot of people <laughs> I, I and not even people on drugs people were just like normies who were just like what who is this fun for this is yeah. challenging and i was like yes it is that is exactly right that you know i love it I, th- this is the this is the highlight of the night for me if you're listening to this and you don't have time to listen to the whole show um dial up this piper this is this is what it's all about to me i i can't believe i just i can't believe the last three minutes of this song are three minutes the last three <laughs> minutes of this like the last three minutes of this song feel like 20 minutes to me of of like of, of like being physically tortured and in a way that i enjoy that i want to be part of it is it's it's so dark david what do you think about this piper i just want to cut in with my since you guys are movie people it's yeah. somewhere between my reference from interstellar and hellraiser now okay yeah the yeah, pain is so good uh yeah. but dave yeah Definitely i just had to get that yeah. in can't can let up a pinhead <laughs> reference when i see it yeah uh yeah i mean during joy and sand, I slipped into a coma um, and had to be revived. <laughs> but uh, yeah, once they brought me back around uh, and I was compost mentis, the song part of Piper, I think, has a pretty nice kind of counterpoint going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's some interesting composition stuff happening there. When they get into the jam, I like that the time signature kind of forced Fishman out of his pocket. And, you know, he couldn't just rely on that like kind of same backbeat like funk groove, you know, that he had to kind of uh, play different drum patterns. Um, And it it was kind of cool. In terms of the solo, I mean, it goes on a journey. I mean, it kind of gets into this like echoey thing, which is cool. I like that. And then he goes to the Wawa for a little while. And that sucked for me. (laughs) Um, And was back in the like, you know, tasteless blues phenomenon. And then after a while, it goes kind of back into the echoey thing. It's and again, this is me projecting. Like maybe Trey like woke up and was like, "Oh, actually, that's shitty." Um, so I'm gonna play something good. And then um, he goes into that like shoegazy stuff at the end, kind of like doubling down on the echo. And it sounds like he's kind of using an effect where he's playing a piece and then he's layering on top of it. That was cool. I mean, it, you know, my bloody Valentine, right? Whoever, like, they'll do that the whole show. You know what I mean? They have yeah. the balls. <laughs> to just do that and if you don't like it you know you can peace out i get that fish is only going to use that once in a while as like a little you know cherry on top or something if i had to choose i would love to see three hours of that um versus all the other stuff hey, you know what good, i mean like that good news buddy that last three minutes was three hours all yeah. right <laughs> <Just> <laughs> <told you> exactly <laughs> yes exactly like the you know whatever the time crystal or something yeah. um most of the tourists checked out you know, other than a few other things, like I like Bye Bye Foot and stuff, but but the part that I found most interesting and appealing to me um, is like really whacking out with the effects and going crazy and getting dark with it. You know, I wouldn't say that I was like astral projected the same way Andy was, but I wasn't there. You know, I'm like listening while I'm, you know, writing TPS reports or whatever. Um, so, you know, it's a different kind of um, set and setting. That's, you know, that's some cool, spacey, whacked out uh, music. So there you go. I well, Not I also that. have good news for you, but it doesn't kind of involve time travel, also. <laughs> and so, very quickly, in and in, in a, the really short bullet point version is, Fish was together for something like twenty years. Then they things got a little wacky. They broke. They took a hiatus, as they called it. They came back for eighteen months. Drugs and the internal scene kind of ate them up. 
So they took a break for five years about, and now here we are. Mm-hmm. All right. They, since 2009, they are in the iteration of which we're discussing. So Dave, in that 18 month period in the early 2000s, a lot of their jams ended like this. A mm-hmm. lot of their jams ended like this to the point where it became almost predictable. And if you are so interested, the music that was created at the time, I would have some recommendations if you want to dig a little further into stuff that does get out there. That's kind of like if planetariums existed in Hades is kind of what (laughs) I could best describe it as. So this is kind of almost a lighter version of what some of us got used to in 2003 and 2004. Yeah. Yeah. This is very February of three. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, uh, like I probably would rather listen to my bloody Valentine or ride or in cocktail twins, something like that. I don't know. You know, you know, if I'm being honest, but this, again, this uh, texture or this, uh, you know, th- th- this flavor being brought into the mix here definitely got my attention. And, um, you know, I, uh, and you loved complimentary it. Complimentary. You, you, lo- you loved it. Yeah. It was, I mean, I, it was, you know, it was better than other things. I liked it. It was good. Right. I did not like it. Trey uh, loves my bloody by Valentine. By the way, don't make me don't make me take like take a stronger position. You know what I mean? Don't make me. That's right. Don't force me to take yeah. a position that's gonna. I'm gonna dig in. That's right. You know, it could yeah. go, that could go the wrong way. I'm just saying. Yeah. Let's leave yeah. it where it is. Right. Yes, right. I'm happy to hear what you're here, what you're putting down. I'm picking up what you're saying, mm-hmm. but we're not totally done with the show yet, or at least even the set. They close with sense and subtle sounds with the intro. There, we're back to 70s psychedelia for a while. Trey is having a great time with his delay pedal. You could hear it just looping and looping and looping, but mm-hmm. it still somehow holds together. Then at 10 minute or 10 and a half minutes, we're back to the beginning. We've come full circle and I see you all over the place. So I'm loving this yeah. very much. Mm-hmm. And then Sense and Subtle Sounds, the song and the jam just kind of peters out into a mush of noise that ends the show proper before we get to the encore. Yeah, I think that that and I like, you know, putting a little bow on the NICU thing here yep. works really well. That that section of the jam is is the highlight for me. Um, but you know, I, I think this jam is all together. I mean, the, as just as a piece of music that from Piper and Sense and Subtle Sounds here, this yeah. last this last like 40 minutes of music is yeah, I mean, as, like the fourth quarter, basically, as we say. I, I have a hard time uh thinking of something I'd rather end up seeing in a fish show than these two. Yeah. And they're of a piece for sure. Sure. Yeah. And yeah, I don't so think they, I clocked that these were different songs, to be honest. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. No, which is which is not unusual, even if you're a huge fish fan and you're there. That yeah. is, you know, it's they might just be different segments of a larger piece made happen to be made up of two songs. That makes that checks. Uh so they go off, they come back on with Lonely Trip, which I really mm. like. And my experience is that a lot of jaded vets who shit on Trey and his 3.0 songwriting. For some reason, this song gets a pass. A lot of people uh, automatically like this song. Maybe it has like Bob Dylan vibes, or it's there's just a beautiful piano solo. It has kind of a, a structure. Can I tell you? Yeah. Can I tell you what it is? What is yeah. it? It's it's essentially the same chords and melody as after the gold rush. Oh, boy. 
That's it. Maybe instead of Bob by Dylan, Neil, Young. Neil Young. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, cool. Can I just listen to that? <laughs> <laughs> Can I just listen no, but, to Neil Young? Okay. All right. That was a cheap shot. But um, no, it's, I mean, it's basically, I mean, it's two chords, you know, back and forth. And um, yeah, the melody to the, you know, not the look at Mother Nature on the run, but like, in the dream goes Southern Nights, you know, that's very, um, I mean, almost, it sounded, all, I didn't sit in ABM, but they sound almost like the same melody to me. Yeah. So yeah, it has that classic rock nostalgic vibe and even after the gold rush like that song is like looking back and nostalgic so it's like that on top of that um so i mean i like that that you know it okay but it was almost like a situation where like you see all these copyright lawsuits where people you know ed sheeran or whatever is getting <laughs> yeah. sued for yeah, and i was like yeah. yeah i don't think neil young has listened to any new music in you know since 1972 um but if he ever got around to like you know listening to this show and made it all the way to the encore he might call his lawyer because it's very simple. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I won't tell um, him, but you know. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you. I, I like the song. I think this does seem to get a bit of a, a pass from the, the jaded vets who who don't like his new stuff. Context for, for David and anybody who's listening. This was one of the songs that was on Trey's pandemic solo record that he wrote in his apartment in Manhattan during the height of the pandemic. The epicenter of the height of the pandemic, the height of the pandemic ambulances flying behind you know under uh, on the street below and with dead you know dead bodies piling up in the morgue that's the subject matter of this song that's what lonely trip is about i had a, i had a very emotional experience with this song when it was played it, it was beginning to feel like the end of the pandemic and he's uh singing about if our vessels pass um perhaps thinking me at last i think it was it it was exactly the right song for this moment and i think it's interesting to think of these sorts of songs that people mostly don't go see fish to to hear them play when they have are put in the perfect moment the perfect show the perfect time of the tour based on what's going on in the world that you can have as big of a experience with that as you would with you know a yam or a harry hood or whatever and um the the as as great as the piper is this lonely trip is you know the it's a lonely trip that makes me that I think about, you know, of a, of a fish show. And I think that's part of the, you know, why, what I think about for why I have such attendance bias to it is I don't think any, any fish fan could ever understand how I felt about hearing lonely trip as the as kicking off the encore. I was just, you know, last week listening to the show, hearing that song running through the same neighborhoods I run through now and hearing the, you know, the, the lyrics of the song. And I, I I'm like this is when this is when I become a joke to the rest of uh, Fish Twitter. But I, I cried, I cried thinking about the, this this song and hearing it at the show and uh, the the pandemic and everything about it. Well, draw those tears because the mm -hmm. show's not over yet, and they close with their big yeah. stadium rock. You know, forget arena rock, like stadium rock. Probably, I I say this every other episode. Have to check which is encore more, this or Tweezer reprise. But can't go home unhappy with first tube. You know, you, how many how many bands, arena filling bands that have the cachet that Fish does, 
can close the show, leaving everyone so pumped with an instrumental, no less. Yeah. And so yeah. I was thrilled. I always am, even though it's never going to go that different from what we already know. It's really a ribbon on top. Yeah, I think completely everything I just said about Lonely Trip to come out, play that song, this quiet, gentle, little, you know, basically, you know, could might as well be just trained with an acoustic guitar. Could be Neil Young with an acoustic yeah, or guitar. Or Neil Young with an acoustic guitar, minus the beautiful piano song. I, I would say just as perfect is to turn right around and say, all right, now let's rock these guys out and throw throw a first tube at them as they, as they head out the door. Send everybody away smiling. You know, first tube's a walk-off home run. Every, yeah. Everybody everybody gets to high-five on the concourse on the way out with the first tube. Last thoughts, Dave? Is it between these two songs when he does the, like, and I yeah. see you, and I see you, and I yeah. see you bit? Yes. That was some really rough comedy. Oh, um, <laughs> Oh, dude, I, I'm I, I'm ear to ear smiling with Trey. I'm just like yeah. I, I hear that now, and I'm like, oh, I love this guy. I love him. I think I was confused because it was called First Tube, and it, there was Tube earlier, yeah. and I, yeah, I don't know that there's different. And I was just like, wait, this doesn't sound quite like the same. And there's no, there's uh, anyway. I got it. Kind of a, uh, I think I was a little confused, but okay, yeah. That's I was do, like, all right, like let's, that, let's wrap this up. Do you like that rock riff at the minute? Dun 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 dun. No? Yeah, it was okay. I think I was kind of checked out at this point. Yeah, if I'm being funny. honest, it's know, I think I was like, "All right, I've done my, I've done my duty. I've listened. <laughs> I promised I would listen to this, and I have. There were things I liked. There was things that I didn't care for. We all, we all, you know, learned the, you know, the the real whatever thing was the friends we made along the way. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and, and um, you know, and and here we are. Well, let's just bring it on home. I was I was walking to my car. I just metaphorically walking to my yeah. car at this point in the show. Yeah. Yeah. Try to be traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Traffic to go listen to after Gold Rush. <laughs> <laughs> well, for Dave and Andy from Rock Docs Podcast, thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Andy, for you to tell us about what it was like to be on October 23rd, 2021 at Chula. Yeah. Did I get it right? Uh-huh. uh-huh. All right. Nailed it. And, and for Dave, for giving us your impressions of listening to it. Uh, without any real personal connection. It was helpful. It was really good to hear that because to be fair, that almost never happens on this podcast. So it's very valuable for us insane fish fans to have an outside perspective just to keep us in check and realize not everything is always gold, even when we shit on it. Like sometimes we just need to know. We need to hear it from someone else. So thank you both for taking out and being a part of it. No, I just hope that like, fish fans uh, who are mostly you know beautiful people who listen to this podcast don't walk away thinking like this asshole why did i have to listen to him or whatever you know what i mean like i'm trying to be fair here and and, that's all we can ask i'm I'm trying to call balls and strikes listen you loved piper and you love five by foot (laughs) that's that's the takeaway here i love the rapping the blues rock (laughs) the light funk all of it scream my favorite Mm -hmm. yeah no just give me that bye-bye foot. You said it's only been played six times. Just give me that. Give me a mix of those six recordings, and I'll probably I'll probably dig that a yeah. lot. Fair enough. Well, as long as you came away with something. Some people come away with nothing. Yeah. You never know. But thank you. Again, the point is I appreciate you guys taking the time to be here. Thanks, Matt. And that's it for today's discussion with Andy and Dave from Rock Docs. And today's episode, if you haven't noticed by now, is quite a bit longer than our usual shows. We had three voices instead of two, plus we're all podcast hosts, so that makes sense. But that also makes for an extra long attendance bias fact check. 
Attendance Bias Fact Check. The Mango song played at Andy's first show, September 17th, 2000, was clocked at 9 minutes and 42 seconds. The Fish.net Jam Charts describes it as, In from a great theme from the bottom into Doglog. Following an extended, straightforward outro, this improvisational version morphs into a rhythmic and pulsing groove that grows increasingly effects-laden and eerie before transitioning into free. So definitely a recommended version. Dave's first show, with help from Andy, was on December 4th, 1996 at the Sports Arena in San Diego. That was the only time to date that Fish has played that venue. The city as a whole hasn't been a popular destination for the band, as in their 40-year career, they've only played San Diego five times. Dave's other show, which he insists was at the Forum, was a bit more difficult to ascertain. He said that it was in 1999 or 2000, but Fish did not play that venue either of those years. I would guess that maybe it was the show from February 14, 2003. Regarding Bye Bye Foot, according to Fish.net, the six times it has been played amounts to 0.31% of all Fish shows, or once per every 326 shows. So, on average, if Dave wants to catch it, he better start buying tickets now. The Fenway show that Andy brings up was the first show back on tour for Fish in 3.0, which was played on May 31st, 2009. And that's it for today's episode. I'd like to thank Andy and Dave from the Rock Docs podcast, you could find it anywhere, for joining me today, Fish.net for its help with the fact check, and Fish.in for the recording used in today's episode. If you enjoy Attendance Bias, please support the show by visiting www.buymeacoffee.com slash Attendance Bias and donating anything you can. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time on Attendance Bias.